Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show is a podcast that takes you into the field, to those places where you have those mastermind meetings and aha moments that can either change your trajectory or at least bring you a little bit closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sometimes you may hear a little bit of ambient noise in the background in conjunction with the laptop lifestyle that I love so much. And today I'm coming to you from my beautiful balcony here in sumptuous Las Vegas, known to some as the hottest city in America. And today's topic is something that is crucial to anybody, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a corporate ladder climber, whether you're a side hustler, whatever it is that you do to make a difference for your community market and audience, whatever invitations you're extending to help people achieve their results, trust building is essential. So what we're going to be covering today is a proven trust-building process to create instant rapport and lasting relationships. And we have somebody with us today who has not only mastered that, but literally written a book about it. His name is Larry Jacobson. He's a practice transition specialist and attorney who has represented professionals and professional service firms for over 40 years. He develops his proprietary Wheels of Instatrust and personality archetype analysis and working with clients. His new book is called Instatrust, The Proven Trust-Building Process to Create Instant Rapport and Long-Term Relationships. And it came out in February 2023, and I'm excited to speak with you about it now. Larry Jacobson, come on in, the weather's fine. I'm delighted to be here, and it's not nearly as hot, I'm sure, here in Chicago as it is in Las Vegas, but Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So what we like to do here, and uh, I know there are a number of points that we want to cover that we went over in the green room, and I want to go through a lot of those. But before we do that, we like to pull back the curtain. I read your official bio off. It's so impressive. I'm not sure if I'm even worried to be here, and this is my show. So uh, (laughs) what we're going to do here is we're going to have you take us on a little bit of a tour and tell us in your own words something of your own journey and how it's all bring you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Oh, that's a great question. Um, You know, I've been a practicing attorney since 1981. Uh And one of the things that I noticed relatively early in my career is that law school and even getting mentored at law firms really doesn't teach you anything as to how to deal with people. You're, You're trained to be a diagnostician and you're, you're trained to serve people or, or, or try to solve their problems on a technical level, but it really does not teach you in any way, shape, or form how to read people and how by reading people to get through to them. And I think in my, it, I won't say I think, in my experience, I think that's true in all professional training. I think doctors are, are trained you know, to diagnose illness, uh, but the training that they get in terms of bedside manner is almost non-existent. Yeah. Uh, accountants are trained uh, to be tax experts and to be facile with numbers. Uh, but I can say, and I hope I'm not offending any accountants listening to this, that accountants don't get very high marks in terms of being people you know, people persons or person, you know, you get what I mean. And, 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 yeah. and so 
I learned probably in the first seven or eight years of my career that to get ahead and to really serve the people I wanted to serve, that I had to really ramp up my people skills, which then in turn led me to ramp up my trust building skills, because I think they go hand in hand. If you're, if you're a good people person, um, by definition, you're building good trust with clients, uh, patients, if you're a salesperson with customers, and so on. Well, you know, I've got I've got two thoughts on this. Uh, you know, you speak about the bedside manner with medical professionals. Now, in some of my other episodes, I've spoken about my uh, journey with trypanophobia, which is, for those of you who are not familiar with the term, uh, the fear of basically needles. So getting shots, getting mm-hmm. blood work done, things like that. So in, 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 for as long as I remember, and there was never a time in my life when this wasn't the case, when... I find myself in a situation where somebody wants to give me a shot or somebody wants to take my blood or something like that. I will go into an immediate involuntary fight or flight response that almost inevitably ends up in syncope, which means I faint. This is physiological. I have no control over it whatsoever. And the level of lack of understanding combined with an obliviousness to how real this is actually makes me really concerned about medicine. Uh, You know, over the past few years, we've had this pandemic thing going on, which blessedly I think is getting close to endemic status, which is usually how pandemics end. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you may recall, uh, about two years ago, there was this big thing uh, about where if you didn't go and get some shot that uh, you were somehow literally the most evil person you were contributing to the deaths of millions of people or something like that. Well, I said at the time that our biggest health crisis was not COVID, but it was trypanophobia. When you look at the population in the United States, what I think is estimated to be something like 330 or 350 million or something like that. I, I'm not sure which number to go by. An estimated 50 million people, five zero, 50 million people experience some level of this phobia. And I can tell you the thought process because I live with it is people can look at, well, um, if I don't get this blood work done or I don't get this shot, uh, there's a 0.01% chance I'll die or maybe there's even a 3% chance I'll die. And they'll look at that and they'll say, let's use the other number. They'll say, well, 97 out of 100, I'll be just fine. No, I'm I'm not getting a shot. So how do you overcome that when people will actually compare their chances of dying versus the potential mitigation effects of getting a shot that lasts about five seconds? And imagine how if we simply worked on helping people gain trust because that reaction and that phobia can usually be traced back to something where somebody's trust was violated, usually in their early childhood before they even had a lot of conscious memories. And do you think a little bedside manner around that could possibly, well, I'm going to use a pun, move the needle. Hmm. Well, I've got to tell you that it really... um, it, 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 it really is a challenge because in this day and age, you know, we have the mindset that time is money. Right. And so, you know, I'll, I'll stick with the medical profession for a moment. Um, the medical profession, you know, more and more internists are being judged, not necessarily by how empathetic they are with patients or even patient outcomes, but by the least amount of time they can spend with a patient so they can get to see the next patient and all. Right. And, Correct. And, 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 but that's true in most professions in law, you know, there's the billable hour. And so, you know, everybody is, is just desirous of getting through things quickly and what have you. And, you know, what I like to say, you know, in, in a first interaction that I have with a potential client, I basically say, what's on your mind? 
you know, I don't start digging in, you know, I may have heard ahead of time that they have problem X or what have you, but I don't want to start digging into problem X. I want to hear in their own terms what's on their mind and, um, you know, and then morph into a, how can I help you? Um, and, you know, if, if, if let's assume you came in with a specific medical problem uh, and I asked, how can I help you? I'm assuming one of the things that you would tell me is, you know, I want to be helped by, you know, this, but, you know, I have this, this problem with respect to needles. You know, some of this is a two-way street yeah. in terms of exchanging information. And, but in the first instance, it's up to the professional. You see, part of the problem, in fact, a big problem is that people like me know a lot more about a particular subject than the people we're meeting with. And so we come off as arrogant. We come off as clinical and sometimes robotic and all. And we don't realize we're dealing with a human being with real issues and, and different personalities. And, you know, the personality aspect is a key component of my book. Um, and, and so what I like to do very early on in an interaction is, you know, to, to, because InstaTrust basically is both a mindset and a process where you put relationship building at the forefront of your initial meeting in a business setting. And so I want to start building that relationship so that, you know, whether it's three or five or 10 minutes, whatever, into the meeting, you feel comfortable enough with me that I really care about you, that you're going to share any concerns that you have with me, including, you know, if it goes down the path of, of needles and, and needles, yeah. by the way, are, you know, needles, you know, it covers a wide range of, of, of topics. It's not just shots. Uh -huh. It's going to a dentist and getting a shot of Novocaine or uh -huh. going to an oral surgeon and getting a shot of, you know, a potential shot of uh, Versat or Propopol um, or going into the hospital and having, a, even on an outpatient basis, a, a surgical procedure where you need an IV and they need to obviously, you know, stick a needle in you for the IV. So, uh -huh. you know, that is a critical piece of information that a, you know, I, I'm not sure that, you know, a lot of doctors or dentists or dental specialists, you know, would raise that issue in the first five minutes. In fact, I don't think they should. I do think they should build the relationship. And then you can have a, once the trust is built, you can talk about um, your particular concerns with respect to shots. But certainly all of them need to really understand what you're talking about is a real issue and need to be able to address that, you know, pretty quickly. All right. So you, uh, so this brings up the counter example, which was going to be the final part of this before we move on to some more about this instant trust here. I never had this problem with my dentist growing up. I never felt the queasiness. I never felt the uh, tightness in the neck, the, uh, the clamminess, the everything goes white on me. I never had any fear whatsoever when he injected me with the Novocaine needle huh. for a couple reasons. Uh, he would uh, give me the, because they usually, when you're talking about dental work, they usually give you a, a topical to, to, you know, numb the area from the surface perspective of the area where they plan to inject the Novocaine, like, because they have to hit a certain right. nerve to numb right. out a certain portion of the jaw, you know, how all that works. And, um, and he would always make sure that I felt I'd had enough topical before he went in with the needle. And then throughout whatever procedure he was doing, he would explain everything that he was doing to me at, at, or you know, for me, right? Let's use, let's, you know, adjust the language here as he was doing it. And I think what he recognized is that what would help me through the procedure was a feeling, was a sense that I had control over what happened and that I was fully aware of everything that was happening. So there were no surprises. There were no mysteries. There was nothing that made me feel like I was disconnected or it was something that was being done to me. It was being done for me, rather. So I've also had a couple root canals in my life. Uh, now, uh, for those, I've been referred to endodontists. 
And I had right. a real, and what, back right. when I lived in Pittsburgh, I had a really good endodontist. The guy was fantastic. Now, the first time I went to him, uh, he put the topical on. And then 10 seconds later, he whipped it out and he came at me with the needle. And I actually physically blocked his arm while he was holding the needle. He's like, whoa. I said, uh, I wasn't ready for that. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, see, the endodontist gets different drugs. His topical was almost as strong as the Novocaine my dentist gave me. His topical only took about five or 10 seconds to work. It didn't take five minutes. I didn't know that. And he just simply didn't have it in his frame of mind that I might have needed to know that. So once I felt that, it's like I was barely done with that. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, you can go ahead and inject me now. I'm really Because I was already, I mean, I was already, because that's how strong his topical was. Second time I went to him, uh, he put the topical on. And then a minute later, we're just sitting there and he said, okay, well, I remember you from last time and you need to tell me when you feel you've had enough topical and we're ready to uh, do the septicane injection. And uh, it's like, okay, this guy, this guy understood. I really trust him now because not only did he recognize that I had that need, but he remembered from the last time. Well. So, so he didn't bother me either. And believe me, even when you're numbed out, uh, root canals are not fun. I've had, I've had a couple as well. Yeah. You know, you've basically just summarized InstaTrust because let's go with your, and there are two great stories. Go with your dental story for a minute. Obviously, you had a not insignificant relationship with your dentist where you you and your dentist could you know have a candid conversation and you trusted your dentist to be uh very sensitive and very caring as to not only applying the topical but waiting the requisite period of time for the topical to kick in right so you wouldn't feel the needle that is a classic trusting and, and, and I guess my question to you is how long have you been seeing this dentist before the first time he needed to stick a needle in your mouth? I can't remember. He was my dentist the whole time growing up. I haven't seen him in 10 years, though, because he's back in Pittsburgh and I'm here in Nevada. Where I'm at right now is I actually have a whole bunch of stuff that needs done in my mouth, uh, including having a tooth extracted. I just haven't gotten to it for two reasons. A, because it's, uh, you know, A, because of just all this stuff with pandemic stuff, although that's pretty sure. much gone away now. And the other is that um, I actually have both a dentist and an endodontist lined up. And the dentist is, uh, is actually a dental surgeon who can handle all these various things. I know there's at least one root canal, one extraction, um, two or three crowns. And then there's another tooth that just has so many problems with it. I'm probably just going to have them rip it out rather than try and fix it because it's in the back and who cares. Uh, but um, but the, the issue there, the only reason I haven't done it is because I have found providers who will prescribe the pill that knocks you out because they understand that the intravenous anesthesia is not going to work for me. Uh -huh. Now, when you get prescribed the pill, you go to the pharmacy, you pick it up, you bring it to the office. It's administered in the office. Mm -hmm. Now, they will not administer that pill to you until or unless you have signed custody of yourself over to another person who sits in the lobby and waits for you. The logistics of finding somebody to do that has been the holdup. Well... Again, what, what you are very eloquently self-assessing is you're self-assessing your trust level and yeah. what, it, what it takes to get your trust. Yeah. And, and everybody is different. Uh, there, there, there are some people who um, are immediately trusting of others. And there are others, you know, to, to use the, the state um, phrase of Missouri, Missouri, it show me. Yeah. And so, and that really, and and that really is a core thing that I get into the book. You, not you, but the provider, 
dentist, salesperson, doctor, lawyer, whatever. Right. That person needs to assess who you are, what your personality is, so that that so that I can adjust to you and adjust my process to you so you can gain trust. It very well may be, to use your example, of the person that you have to <laughs> be in their custody while you are, you take the pill and you yeah. basically knock yourself out. It very well might be because of your trust meter, you might have to meet that person once or twice before you even go to the office and take the pill. You might have to meet the, whether it's the dentist or the endodontist or the oral surgeon, whoever's doing the procedures on you, you might have to meet that person one or two times because you are giving another person or person significant control over your body. Yeah. And, and different people have different trust levels as to how comfortable they are doing that. I mean, um, I remember, you know, a, a relatively recent example, and I've you know, hope I'm not grossing anybody out, but a few no. months ago I went in for colonoscopy. Uh-huh. And, you know, because I work with oral surgeons, I know quite a bit about anesthesia, probably more than 99 plus percent of the patients yeah. uh, that they see. And, you know, the anesthesiologist came in and, you know, went through the regular spiel. And I asked, you know, some pretty pointed questions about the anesthesia, when it was going to be administered, so on and so forth. And to the anesthesiologist's credit, she answered everything professionally, not defensively. Um, you know, she answered, um, you know, how long I would be in twilight or what have you and, and, and so on. And as a result, you know, the procedure went through and the procedure went through fine with no, yeah. with no hiccups. But the point is, that I have dealt with other medical and dental professionals that when you ask a pertinent question that relates to me or in your case, you, they either get defensive or they basically come across with the attitude, well, I'm the expert. I know what I'm doing. You know, you, you silly fool. I mean, they don't uh -huh. say silly fool, but that's what we're trying to get away from because we're dealing with people who come from all spectrums. We have people from the spectrum that they'll trust almost anybody with respect to anything. And you can call them gullible and maybe they are sometimes. And then yeah. you have people who are just born skeptics and cynics, and it takes an enormous amount of time and effort to win them over. And you may never win them over. And then you've got uh -huh. obviously the vast, 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 vast majority in between. And so the part of building trust, and this is the key concept of the book, is that you really need to figure out who they are. Because um, a, a very close friend of mine once told me, and it's stuck with me for 15 years, you have to take them as you find them. There isn't a doctor in the world that is going to quote unquote change your fear of needles. No, no. I, 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 I've been I've been through so much uh, therapy and development of exercises. I can get through it if certain conditions are met without having that reaction. And I know that it's not going to be a matter of changing the doctor. It's going to be a matter of finding the doctor who can work with me on it. Bingo, bingo, and. And, and, and that's exactly what I would have said to anybody in your shoes. The, the, the objective is to find the person that you feel comfortable with that understands you and takes you as you are and comes up with solutions that are based upon who you are and, and what's okay and what's not okay with you. But unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. So many people, you know, professionals, but I mean, this is true, you know, in, in sales, it's true in finance and what have you. There, there are just so many people um, who, you know, they only have they only have one tool in their toolkit. I mean, I'll give you another example, personal recent example. I've been working on a deal uh, in terms of selling a practice, and 
I'm dealing with a finance guy and he's fabulous in finance, but he doesn't know jack about how to deal with people. And as a result, there have been some errors made on their side, whether in legal documents or, you know, in terms of, you know, coming up with transition plans and all. And because he took zero time, zero time to understand that, you know, my client is a very sensitive person and that trust means a lot to them, that deal is in serious jeopardy because all he's doing is treating them as a number. Or, 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 you know, a deal. And he's not understanding that they're real life human beings with real life feelings and real life concerns. And, you know, I tell my clients that when you hire me, yeah, you're getting somebody who's got, you know, great, you know, legal background and, and negotiation background and, and tax background. But I tell them that, that's only about 50% of what you're hiring me for. The other 50% is to basically hold your hand through a process that you've either never been through before or you haven't been through in 10, 15, 20 years. Uh-huh. So we really need to focus on the human element. And, and it's interesting because, you know, right now artificial intelligence is the rage. Uh-huh. Um, and what I think we're going to find with artificial intelligence is that there's no question that artificial intelligence will continue to take over when it comes to routine matters that don't involve, you know, the human heart and even serious abstract thinking. Yeah. What artificial intelligence will never be able to do is to read the mind of a specific person and figure out what makes them tick. Well, think about how many people get angry at customer service bots because the bot isn't returning the response that they're trying to get. Think about uh, all the times you call in uh, for service from anybody and you get into their phone tree and uh, you know, you already know that I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to use myself as an example. Sure. If I'm calling in to some automated system looking for customer service, that's because I need to speak with somebody and I've already tried to figure it out on my own. So I need the part where it skips to where I can say agent and it'll give me one. I mean, I respect the fact that they will put a lot of things in their phone trees. It'll just deliver the information. You don't have to speak with a human being. And that's great for some people, uh, particularly those who don't really use the Internet and prefer to do everything over the phone and have it spoken to them. And they don't care if a machine does it or not, as long as the information is accurate and accessible. But for me, if I'm calling in, that means I already tried. I already tried to use their live chat. I already tried to use my members area or my portal for my being a customer, what have you. I already researched it online, whatever, and it just didn't get me there. So one other thing I want to bring up real quick, especially when we think about trust, and this is really just a tangent. You mentioned colonoscopies. Now, I'm only going to mention this simply because of the demographics of the Business Creators Radio Show, which indicate that a lot of our listeners are within the age where colonoscopies, um, if they're not a thing in your life, they probably should be. There's a new... I don't know if it's new, but the information about it is newer. Before you just go in and get an exercise and have something stuck up your butt, uh, there is a um, test you can take at home. I'm not going to describe the test, but I'm just going to say it's real simple and use your imagination that you can do this at home and then mail it in. They'll send it to a lab and then they'll let you know whether you actually need a colonoscopy. Now, two benefits of that. If you don't really need one, then you can just say, okay, cool, I'm good for five years. I'll do this again in five years. And it also reduces the need for colonoscopies, which uh, potentially opens up availability for treatments that can be provided by doctors who otherwise might be overwhelmed by doing all the colonoscopies. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with, with what you're saying. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, we don't I need don't to describe to, it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to describe it. And- yeah. Uh, and I, I preface by what I'm about to say that I'm not a medical doctor. Yeah. Uh, but in my case, because there's a family history of, of uh, colon cancer, Stay here. I've had polyps, um, my gastro, um, and now I've seen two because my original one retired, you know, basically said I, I have to, for better or for worse, I need to do it the old fashioned way. Yeah. We think that if there, there's not a family history or other 
you know, other uh, symptoms, so to speak, you know, certainly it's again, worth discussing with one's doctor, um, you know, as to whether that's an alternative and, and frankly, you know, the doctor and, and, and this, this actually gets to a good point because in our lives, we have certain people that, that really are our trusted advisors. You know, yes. It's our internists. In, in dentistry, it's our dentist, our general dentist. Um, when it comes to accounting, it's our CPA. Yeah. Um, in law, you know, depending upon, you know, your business or whatever, it could be your corporate attorney or it could be your estate planning attorney. So one of the, the key, to me, one of the key tests of being what I call a trusted advisor, and I literally do use the word trusted, not just advisor, is to basically read the person that, that's with you and, and, and tailor what your advice is to their, to their situation. And, you know, the, the, the concern that I have, and I want to get back to your customer service example for a moment, and I'm going to take it even one step further. Please, you know, please do, because that's a big trust issue right there. You can lose a lot of customers just through the service. Exactly. But what I'm about to say is true in any field. It's not just, you know, calling up Amazon or, you know, calling up, you know, um, you know, uh, a department store or, or Lowe's or what have you. So first, they may want you to start with the bots and you know, for anybody who's moderately intelligent, that generally doesn't go very far. Yeah, so the bot, yeah, the bots oftentimes are poorly designed, and you're trying to get a certain response to it. I remember one time I was uh, trying to get a response from a customer service bot, and every single answer was "sign up for our conference." Yeah, and and so then you call in, and eventually you talk to a real live human being. Eventually, yeah. And then you find out very, very quickly that the real, and this is my experience, the real live human being is reading from a script or only can give answers from a script and or only give solutions from a script. And so in my experience, very frequently, well over half of the time, within the first two or three minutes after I explain my issue, and, you know, I get the proverbial, well, we're very sorry about this, blah, blah, blah. And then I ask, what can you do to help? And then it becomes pretty clear to me that their ability to help me is limited. And that's when, um, you know, I try to keep it together. I don't get angry at them. You know, they're not the ones who, you know, people who are working in customer service, they're not the ones who design the scripts and everything like that. And I said, right. I'm very sorry. You can't help me. Please put please put a supervisor on the phone. Right. Because it, it, it almost doesn't make sense to have real life human beings be customer service reps if they really don't have the ability to help solve your problem. I've been in that situation. Uh, my last job before I became a full-time entrepreneur was working for a managed care organization. I worked in uh, provider relations, and my job was to deal with um, out-of-network providers where our members had gone in to for inpatient treatments, and it was usually out of state. And uh, I was, and our managed care provider dealt with welfare cases where the funds were provided by the state, and we were only authorized to pay so much. So what would happen is uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania would pay, well, in my opinion, were ridiculously low rates per day for inpatient stays, and uh, and the facilities would just say, "Oh no, we're not signing your agreement. You're just going to pay us," and uh, and then we say, "Well, don't balance bill our member." It's like, well. It's illegal. It's like, we don't care about your laws. We're going to bill your member and go after them. It's like they're on welfare. They don't have, well, we don't care. All right. So they would submit their invoices. They wouldn't get paid. They would go through, they would go through the appeals process. Uh, I, I can't remember the technical name for it. And then it would get to my boss's boss, who is, uh, you know, as my listeners have heard me say many times, was probably the most obtuse fucking moron I've ever dealt with in my life. And then she would say, why didn't you negotiate with the facility? And I would say, 
because you have told me that I have no power to negotiate. You know what I wanted to say. You want to know I wanted to say these providers so many times, and you know these, um, you know the, you know the billing reps and the contract reps on the provider side, because there was a there was actually a cheat code to get past anything that our company was trying to do with respect to their rates. All you had to do was call in, yell and scream, and tell them that they were going to tell them you were going to sue, and you could pretty much guarantee by the end of the day they would just pay you whatever you wanted. Yeah. And I'm I'm sighing and and the yeah mm-hmm. yeah so so what it was is I was on the front line I was being told I'm not allowed to negotiate and then they want to know why I didn't negotiate. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, I'm familiar with that situation, but in particular, I'm familiar with the state of Pennsylvania and at least what their reimbursement rates are uh-huh. in the dental industry, and they're so horrible that there's a pretty steady exodus of younger, you know, hungrier, whether it's dentists or dental specialists, including oral surgeons leaving the state because, you know, Pennsylvania in, in some instances doesn't even reimburse you 50% of the value of, of your services. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's a whole different area of trust, you know, that, that gets into macroeconomics and, and what have you, but, you know, it, it, it just slays me that, you know, people expect, including government, that they expect uh, people to provide, you know, services where the incentives that they give basically force you to act like a, a machine. I mean, if you're, if, if you're, let's say a Medicaid provider, you know, you you know, you're you're getting. That's what I. That's what I was doing with Medicaid. It was a Medicaid contract, and and, and so basically, you're getting reimbursed if, at best half of the value of what you're providing. So what does that mean? And what it means is everything that I've said on this on 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 this session, so to speak, goes out the window. You're you've got to be robotic in terms of getting people in and out and in and out and in and out. Because the only way you're going to make money is through efficiency, not through doing great work, but just getting people in and out the door. And that is completely and totally antithetical to providing great personal service. And it's Uh it's a real issue. And unfortunately, I don't see it getting any better. Yeah, yeah. So. In general, regardless of whether we're talking about uh, medical, legal, accounting, uh, uh, marketing services, anything that somebody offers that's an invitation for somebody to help them improve themselves or or gain benefits. Uh, you mentioned earlier something I really latched onto, and I know this is one of the main points we wanted to cover uh, in, in our conversation here, is you mentioned uh, determining personality types. So, you know, who you're dealing with and how to approach them as a key to developing the instant trust. So how do you determine the personality type? Great question. Um, What you have to do at the beginning of any interaction is you have to ask a lot of open-ended questions and engage in active listening, which unfortunately for a lot of people is easier said than done. Uh And you are observing both what they're saying and nonverbal cues, tone of voice. Are they fidgeting? You know, are they making eye contact or what have you? And your goal is, is really designed in the first instance to figure out, and, and, you know, in the book, we talk about 11 different archetypes. We, we talk about, you know, somebody who's close to the best. Close to the best, you know, is somebody who, you know, is just very reticent, you know, to share information, you know, uh-huh. somebody who keeps everything tight. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, a skeptic or a cynic, but they're, they, 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 they're just not somebody, you know, we all know people that if you ask them a question, um, they can give you their life story for the next 10 or 15 minutes. But, you know, right. a, a close to the best person, you really need to, to, to draw out. Another archetype is a tough nut. Tough nut is not somebody, you know, who is 
you know, is close to the vest in terms of giving out or not giving out information, but somebody who is more of a skeptic or cynic. And so as a result, you have to figure out with them, uh, what can I do, you know, to make them trust me? You know, part of it is, you know, making them feel comfortable as a person, but with them, maybe early on, you display your competence a little, you know, you explain in, in lay terms what, um, you know, what and how you can help them. And, and you know, I won't go through all the 11 archetypes, but the, what you really need to do is try to figure out who they are through active listening, active listening being with your ears and your eyes. And, and then once you do that, hopefully you can gain at least a, a preliminary personality type after the first three to five minutes. And then you tailor your approach based upon their personality type. But it all starts with active listening. It starts with conveying to them that at the end of the day, um, you're, you're there to help them. You're not there to stroke your ego. You're there for their benefit. And, and, and you're there to basically facilitate some benefit to them. Because frankly, if you can demonstrate that, then to you, whether it's the professional or the salesperson, if you can benefit the other person, you'll benefit as well, as opposed to just jumping in, you know, the old car salesman, you know, routine where, you know, they want to sell you a car in the first 30 seconds of, uh, of meeting them. No, what you want to do is you want to find out who they are and what they are and what's important to them, you know, and then, you know, convey you know, your, your desire to help them in a, in a, in a non uh, technical way and then go from there. Yeah. I, I think that all that is very, very important. See, uh, you know, another thing I've discovered in this, you know, what you say just brings this to mind is that, uh, you know, when you go to networking functions, whether it's uh, the Rotary, the Kiwanis Club, or the cocktail hour before the seminar or something like that, and there's a lot of uh, uh, that old style networking where you exchange business cards and you say, so, uh, Larry, what do you do? And I remember this one time, I had gone to some pre-event uh, cocktail party at one of the uh, VIP lounges here in Las Vegas. I was supposed to meet somebody I knew and they didn't show. So I'm in this dark room. It's noisy. It's crowded. So me, you know, being highly introverted, uh, you can already imagine that I was about I was about ready to scream bloody murder. And in fact, I almost did as I'll explain in a second. And after about 15 minutes of this, I decided to leave. So as I was leaving, I was walking by um, and, you know, the, the bar was there and uh, I made eye contact with somebody who was sitting at the bar and you know, he reached out. He tapped me on the shoulder because he wanted to say hello. And uh, we shook hands. He said his name. I didn't hear it. He, but I did hear him say, so so what do you do? And yeah, and, and, you know, on this podcast, we get very real and raw. So I'll get, I'll tell you what I told him. I said in this in this tone of voice, in these exact words, what does it fucking matter? now here now he laughed and he said you know what you got a point now he and now he and i and uh and his uh business partner who were there and actually ended up leaving together shortly after we went uh down to the uh to the other place uh that was downstairs and uh there was a lot quieter and ended up having a conversation and a friend of theirs became my client so it worked out very well. But the point behind this is, is if you ask me, if you say, so Adam, what do you do? It doesn't matter what I do. What matters is how I can help you. And until I know what your need is, how I can help you, and the degree to which what I do helps you, it's irrelevant. I got to know about you. I got to know about what your goals are, what your challenges are, what you need to have fulfilled. And if launching a podcast, which is you know, you know, basically what I do for a living, if that's going to be the solution to your problems, then I need to articulate that to you in a way that matches because there's many reasons to launch a podcast. I can tell you my preferred reasons. They may not be your preferred reasons. 
But if I try and uh, sell you on my preferred reasons and say, trust me, well, what does that mean to you? But if I hear about your frustrations and I hear about your challenges and I hear about your goals for business and I can articulate in language that you understand that meets you where you are, how hosting your podcast would move you toward achieving that, then I have a much greater chance of getting you as a client. Yeah. But if uh, I just read off my elevator speech, what does that mean to you? Possibly nothing. Nothing. And, and you know, thank you for sharing that story. You know, I, this has to be at least 15, 17 years ago after going to, you know, literally hundreds of networking meetings, you know, uh, workshops, so on and so forth. Um, you know, I finally decided that when somebody asks me um, what I do, I very simply say, I'm a problem solver. And please tell me what you do and let's see if we can have a conversation. So I basically flip it around, but I flip it around in a way that immediately tries to put them at ease that to say, to reemphasize what you said a moment ago, that, you know, I'm there to solve problems. And frankly, I'm a lot more um, interested in finding about them and maybe sharing something where I might be able to solve a problem of theirs or what have you, than going into a spiel as to who I am or, or what I do. Because frankly, it's, you know, it's the old saying in a movie or in a book show or tell, it's, it, it, it's a lot easier to show how you can help somebody as opposed to telling them how you can help them. Right. Oh, that, that, that's another great way of looking at it. And what, I, and what I love about that is how you basically do a variation of the IU shift. So you take it away from Larry and you turn it on to them. Yeah. Uh, and years before the incident I described to you happened, I was at, a, I was at another conference with, that didn't have so many crowded, dark, noisy rooms. Uh, there was actually more possibility for human interaction. There was a lot of that. What do you do? Now I was there, now I was there and I, uh, and uh, you know, a buddy of mine I made off the internet was uh, there and we were hanging out in person for the first time. So he and I actually had a little bit, had a little game going on. Uh, and the game was every time somebody came up to one of us and asked us what we do, to time it to see how long we could get away with not answering that question. The idea being what you and I are discussing, which is to turn the conversation back to the person asking. Yep. So that so that right there. Now, you also mentioned something, and we I think we might have already kind of covered it, but I really want to highlight this. Uh, you say that telling someone to trust, you know, using the words trust me, is the worst way to build quick trust. Uh, so tell us why that is. I really want to highlight this. I, I'm really latched onto it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you the short answer. I mean, I could, you know, give you, you know, a very long answer. But put yourself in the shoes of, um, you know, somebody, you know, you're. let's say you're going to an endodontist for a root canal. Yeah. And rather than the endodontist, you know, describing, you know, what will happen, how you'll feel before, during, after um, they, they, they basically, you know, take your root out or what have you. They basically say to you, you know, I've done this a million times. You're in good hands. Um, what would make you feel better? The person who explains everything and the person who tries to put you at ease, as opposed to the person who just blithely says, I know what I'm doing, in essence, trust me. Have far more trust in people who try to go out of their way, whether it's to build a relationship or to explain things, than simply say, trust me. I think part of this is modern society. We've been burned so many times by people that that have said to us, trust me, and, and they, they burned us. But I think it goes deeper than that. I think it just goes deeper that if you can show somebody that you care about them on a human level and not just as a patient, 
you know, to perform a procedure or a client, you know, to, to do a real estate or corporate deal, if you can show them, again, this gets back to showing, not telling, if you can show them that you care, that is a hundred times more soothing to somebody than just the idle words, trust me. Yeah. Uh, years ago, I had a laptop and like three of the keys broke on the laptop and it was already out of warranty. I'd had it for three or four years. So I was looking for a local computer shop uh, to potentially repair it. Now I did research online and I found all these keyboards that I could put into it and things like that, that I could buy for $15 on Amazon or eBay or something like that. And I looked into trying to do it myself and uh, about five seconds into the procedure, I said, no, no, I'm hiring somebody. So I found this one shop and I and I took the laptop in. I explained to him my research and what I wanted him to do. And he said, um, he said, I'm sorry, I can't fix your laptop. Said, what? Well, he said, well, what's going on here is your laptop is the type where you need to replace the entire bottom casing. That keyboard doesn't come out on its own is I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going, I, I think our listeners get the gist of what I'm saying here. And I'm thinking, okay, so this guy wants to charge me a bunch of money. So I said, I, so I, so I said, thanks, I'll let you know. And I went uh, to a couple other places and they essentially told me the same thing. In fact, one used the phrase, they said, oh yeah, this is uh, yeah, it's a Samsung, but it works the same way as the MacBook. And I remembered that the first guy had said, yeah, well, like the MacBooks, you got to flip the thing upside down. You got to take off the bottom and then you take out this whole shell and you put a new one in. And so I ended up taking it back to him and, uh, not, and uh, telling him that, uh, yeah, I, I determined this that you were absolutely right here and and I'd like to work with you. And he said, okay, well, that's cool. Not only am I happy to do this, but uh, I'll even waive the usual fee I charge people in advance before I order the parts because I trust you're actually going to do business with me. And he did a fantastic job. In fact, uh, I ended up having that laptop at least as a backup for 10 more years. I only recently turned it in because it was just so far gone. Uh, so I looked at that computer shop's reviews, and here's what brought me to them. They, on a scale of one to five, their ratings were about a 4.2 or 4.3. And I saw that they had a few complaints, uh, mostly happy customers, but a few complaints. And I also looked at how the computer shop owner, the guy I dealt with, had responded to those complaints. And so it was revelational to me because I can tell this story that when I look at reviews for a place now, I don't want something with perfect reviews because I'm actually distrustful of perfect mm -hmm. reviews. Because I've noticed mm -hmm. that if they have five out of five and they have a hundred comments, I'll tend to notice trends that most of the comments come in on the same day and they say substantially the same thing. So they bought the comments or they cajoled people to leave reviews while they were hovering over them in the store. Uh, so I don't trust that. What I want to see in reviews is that they've messed up because they're human beings and nobody's perfect. I want to see how they messed up so I know where some of their potential imperfections may be. And I want to know how what they did to resolve the situation. And the reason is, is while I trust it with overall high reviews, 4.3 out of 5 isn't bad. If I'm statistically that one where things don't go right, I want to know that I'm going to be covered on the back end. And I want to see what their approach to this is. So this guy who owned this particular computer shop, I noticed that um, that he was very detailed in responding to legitimate complaints and making an honest effort to resolve the issue. And at the same time, he didn't take any shit from any trolls. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, this is my guy. This is my guy. He doesn't He doesn't let anybody walk all over him, but he'll bend over backwards for you if you're a good person. That's who I want to work with. So that built my trust even before I met him. And that's what got me to go back to him, even though, as I said, I'd found other people who could also do the job. That's a great story. That's a fabulous, fabulous story. And, you know, I, I'll just simply say in, in my business, I turn down four out of every five people who call me uh -huh. because very simply because of the nature of what I do. Um, and, and the nature of the marketplaces that I work in, there are a lot of people that 
their practices just aren't large enough in this day and age to, to get anybody interested in buying them. Yeah. And, and it, that's especially true in, in certain markets, but you know, in most markets and, and what I do is I spend as much time with them. Obviously I'm not getting paid, you know, being compassionate and explaining why taking my, taking the time to explain why. And, and frankly, the why is I'd rather tell you now and you can plan, you know, a, a staged retirement or what have you, as opposed to me taking your practice, spending two years, finding nobody's interest in your practice. And then you've worked two more years and you're ticked off at yourself and you're ticked off at me and you would have every right to be ticked off at me. But I'd rather tell them the bad sensitive news up front and then go through with them what it means and how to professionally and ethically shut down a practice. Um, And I cannot tell you how many of those people have thanked me where, you know, an obvious reaction could be, you know, you're, you know, you're just a greedy bastard or what have you. And when they find out I'm not a greedy bastard, but that I'm really trying to do this for their benefit, they're appreciative. And I have actually received referrals from people who I've turned down as clients who've had friends or colleagues that, um, uh, you know, I can help, um, you know, that gets to the point where, where frankly, and to use your, you know, your, your computer shop example, you know, reputation is critical and, and word gets around. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that you've given a number of recommendations for that shop based on your experience. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's the best marketing of all when, it's word of mouth and person to person. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cer- certainly. Which is um, which is why reputation management to me is a is a part of trust. And there's also some, you know, and also I think authenticity plays a role too. As I as I mentioned about this computer guy, uh, if somebody had a legitimate complaint, he bent over backwards to try and make it right, and he let people see that he was doing that. But if somebody just wanted to go on there to flame him or to or the, all they wanted to do is uh, complain and and trash him, but they didn't weren't actually interested in the solution, he would just shut them down. And I'm thinking, cool, cool, because uh, because uh, somebody who would spend excessive mental energy on a problem that can't be solved is doing that at the expense of solvable problems. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. And furthermore, somebody who would uh, who would indulge that is somebody that I could potentially walk all over who would be uh, who would be so concerned with my quote unquote happiness, they might do me a disservice by failing to give me the advice and the guidance I need versus what I think I want. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so, and again, so again, trust, uh, takes many forms. Now we're at the top of the hour here and I'd love to keep this conversation going for like five more hours. But what I want to do is I want to make sure everybody gets this book of yours. So go to, Larry Jacobson's website. It's www.protrustconsulting.com. That's www.protrustconsulting.com. When you get to the page, you're going to find information uh, on InstaTrust. That's the link you're looking for. Protrustconsulting.com forward slash Insta hyphen trust. There's a link to it in the navigation and there's a big image near the bottom. That's where you go to Find your copy of the book, InstaTrust, which will share with you Larry's proven trust-building process to create instant rapport and long-term relationships. I think I might be uh, hopping over to uh, Amazon through his website to grab me a copy of this and add it to my library. So I encourage everybody to do the same. So again, go to the website, which is www.protrustconsulting.com. Not only will you learn about the book, but you also discover more about the various services and value that Larry can provide to your practice. And with that, Larry Jacobson, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor and believe me in education. Well, thank you very much for having me. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. 
Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.